Countries where recreational cannabis is legal includes Canada, Uruguay, and some states in the U.S., and maybe a few more that I'm not following <laughs> as close. Medical marijuana is legal in 30 to 35 countries. Ten states in the U.S., at last count, allow recreational use of cannabis. Several others are considering it, and medical marijuana is legal in another 22 states or so. That leaves uh, less than a dozen states that don't legally condone the use of medical or recreational pot, all of which means the industry is kicking up a storm. There are a lot of cannabis trade shows, especially in the states that allow recreational use, such as Washington, California, here in Oregon, uh, Colorado, and yes, Nevada. Las Vegas, here we come, right? Uh, it wouldn't surprise me to add New York to that list soon as the governor is pushing for recreational pot there, I understand. I spent a couple of uh, days last week exhibiting in booth 420, at the Cannabis Collaborative Conference in Portland, along with, uh, you know, 100-plus exhibitors, perhaps 2,500 attendees, a lot of breakout sessions focusing on legal aspects, banking, investing, regulating cannabis sellers, cultivation, growing, uh, distribution, and more. Really, really a lively show. Hi, this is Tim Patterson, Trade Show Guy, and you're listening to the uh, Trade Show Guy Monday Morning Coffee. It's a weekly video slash uh podcast that explores the event industry as well as whatever I'm up to that week. And sometimes, I got to guess, sometimes not. Kind of today, but you'll see. <laughs> uh, you can find my two books on Amazon, Trade Show Superheroes and Exhibiting Zombies, Trade Show Success. You can find my company online at TradeShowGuyExhibits.com. My blog is at TradeShowGuyBlog.com. Some other uh, related sites that might be of interest include TradeShowSuperheroes.com, which is a site which explains this book, really. Uh, Trade Show Success Book, where you can get a digital copy of this one for free. Uh, TradeShowGuyWebinars.com. And if you want to browse thousands of exhibits for sale, uh, head on over to TradeShowBuy.com. So, uh, having spent a couple of days at the Cannabis Collaborative Conference as an exhibitor, I thought it might be worth, uh, worthwhile to digest that experience and share some of that uh, with you. The run-up to the show included, um, well, a little pre-show marketing. I sent out about... Oh, gosh, uh, 60 or so of these little cards, postcards that invited people to come by to booth 420 and pick up a free copy of one of the books. This is two exhibitors, so I knew that they were going to be there at the show as exhibitors. Now, I didn't know how this would work because, hey, when you're an exhibitor at a show, it's kind of hard to break free and you know how postcards can get lost. I will tell you that was not very effective. Um, one person mentioned this, and they I talked to them, I said, they said, oh, I got the card. Uh, and they did not come over and get their books. <laughs> I had several of the books on display, and I gave away a handful of them, signed them. Um, you know, we had fun with the booth number, uh, both at the show and online on social media, uh, Pinterest. Uh, not Pinterest. I wasn't on Pinterest. I was on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And so we had a lot of fun with 420. And, of course, at the show, people were like, you're in 420? Uh, did you have to pay premium for that? How'd you get that? <laughs> so we had a lot of fun with that. Um, but I tell you, the, the pre-show marketing in and of itself didn't do much. At the show, of course, you got to execute at the show. Uh, the goal is to figure out what visitors are potential clients or customers. You know, you want to find out when they're visiting. Do they use your product? Are they exhibitors? Uh, are they in the market for it now? Do they have a budget for it? You know, are they the decision maker? Those types of things. Sometimes that approach works, sometimes not. I will tell you the one you're in the midst of all the chaos of a show and the lulls of a show, someone comes up, you, you might not always be as prepared as you could be because something else is going on uh, or you're distracted. 
And so, you know, you, you want to be as the best you can to make sure you ask those questions or have that conversation where they come up. And sometimes it works, sometimes it I understand that there's that you can't be, uh, you know, perfect to that and have excellent executions. Like I say, sometimes it works, sometimes it's not. Uh, our exhibit itself was a nice little rental back wall. I'll throw up a picture of that. It came from Classic Exhibits. I wanted something in and out quick and easy since we only had a 10-foot space. And this went up in about 15 to 20 minutes, dismantled from standing up to the rolling case in 11 minutes flat. So uh, looked great. And I will comment about the lighting. Uh, very few exhibits there had lighting, uh, which was surprising. You know, I, my impression is when you go into a trade show hall, the overhead ambient light is not that great. You can see everything, sure, but when you have your own light focused on your own exhibit, it really makes it pop. And we had that, and it looked a whole uh, lot better than a lot of the exhibits around there just because of that. In fact, I think this exhibit was one of the more outstanding little 10 by 10s because so many people have just a little vinyl poster in back that they hang up. Sometimes it's only two, three by, two feet by three feet. Other times it's much wider. Some had some more elaborate exhibits. There were two or three, maybe maybe half a dozen. Uh, the big islands, 20 by 20. And a couple of those were pretty nice. Some were just kind of like cobbled together from various things. And except for one or two, they were all hand-built uh, by the companies. I talked to them. Like I said, I had both of my books on display, gave it a handful to potential customers. And that was really a pretty good icebreaker at times. I had a longtime friend and former business partner, uh, Roger, with me so we could uh, spell each other for the bathroom and lunch breaks and, and uh, to walk the floor and meet other exhibitors. So anything else? Well, it's hard to say at this point if it was a good show for us to be exhibiting at. I think it might be. So I'll spend the next uh, weeks and months staying in contact with the over 40 or so contacts I made at the show with business cards. Uh, some exhibitors, some visitors. I met uh, one magazine publisher in the industry looking for content, and I said, well, would you like articles for uh, on how to exhibit, like a top 10 list on doing such and such? Because I've got, I've got a bunch of them. <laughs> and she said, that'd be great. So we're going to make a contact there, and maybe I can do some uh, writing for them and get in front of a, uh, an entirely different audience. So I think that was a really good contact. On day two, I walked around and did a handful of brief interviews with uh, several exhibitors and asked them each two questions. I wanted some content for this uh, podcast slash video blog. Uh, the questions were, what do you see as one of the big challenges for the industry from your perspective? And what do you see as good opportunities? And here's how those brief interviews went. So I'm asking uh, two questions. First question, what do you see as the, the biggest challenges in the cannabis industry from your perspective? The biggest challenge is uncertainty, primarily, and also from a marketing perspective, getting people to really buy into investing into a brand, into creating quality assets, and um, you know, putting the money into things that are going to be able to tell your story to share it with the world. Because really, that's our job, and it's a challenge to convince other people that it's really going to serve them quite well in the long run. So what about opportunities that you see in the industry for people that are either in the industry now or, or looking to get in? Um, well, what opportunities are out there? It's a growing market and it's the Wild West. I mean, that's one of the big reasons why we're really trying to corner this market um, is because we're interested in investing in people, in the community, so that eventually it'll be us who thrive versus all these outside money that once it gets more stabilized and more secure, um, they're willing to invest. But they're out there now, so it's our opportunity to really shine and establish 
what this industry can be and hold it to a really high standard. That's about family, community, and supporting your fellow human being. So I think uh, one of the biggest challenges is just the, the ongoing legislation and making sure that all of uh, all the cannabis providers are uh, up to speed with all the legislation and their, their meeting OLCC regulations. And what kind of uh, opportunities do you see? Obviously you guys with Security Monster, I would think that's an opportunity, but what kind of things do you see from your perspective? I think the, the industry is definitely evolving. We're seeing more going away from uh, a lot of just like growing marijuana and more just um, extracting and going to CBD oils and stuff. So I think that as well as the sea evolves, there's going to be a lot of need for the security industry to evolve along with that. To know, Jesse, what do you see as like some of the big challenges that the industry is facing? Obviously, there's the, the federal issue. So but that, you know, how that falls down on folks and taxes and banking restrictions and financial um, products that are out there that are incredibly limited for people is very harmful and challenging business. It just makes it very hard. Um, but then locally, it's a, a ton of heavy bureaucratic regulations that require a lot of man hours and a lot of work. And of course, the lack of market access, which is to say the inability to export Oregon's amazing cannabis to other states And that or brings countries. me to my next question, is, which is, what do you see as opportunities, whether this year, next year, or five years into the future? I would say the biggest one on the horizon is full legalization with the ability to export to other states and internationally. I mean, Oregon is should be the breadbasket for cannabis in America, if not the world. Um, and we are already have an oversupply problem. Canada has a shortage problem. We're the answer. Let us get it there. And they're charging more. So it would be a huge financial benefit to businesses in Oregon. It should be a tax revenue to the state. It's huge. Give me just a, a quick synopsis of where we are with that because there's a... Uh... Uh, you guys have a website up mm -hmm. on that particular issue, so tell right. me what the website is and then what, what you, what, what's in process. OneFixCannabis.org is the website. People can go on, sign the petition that we're going to deliver to the Oregon legislature saying, hey, let us export. Um, where we are, we've had conversations with a, a very large number of legislators, um, including and the governor's office. We've only been getting positive responses um, and from all the right people. We've gotten major other um, uh, associations that don't deal with cannabis supporting us. Um, we have we have um, neutralized some historic opposition. Um, and Steve Marks yesterday said he thinks the ball is rolling on this so fast that there's no stopping the cannabis export bill. Now, if we pass it, it won't mean we can export. But it will. Currently, Oregon statute forbids us from exporting. This would give the governor's office the authority to export cannabis whenever it becomes legally feasible, whether that was because federal deregulation or because we had an interstate agreement with another recreational state. John, I want to ask you about the what kind of challenges you see in the industry. Uh, from your perspective? Yeah, I think there's significant challenges uh, and opportunities, of course, that this industry is is faced with. You know, we think about challenges uh, as we look at these emerging markets or these developed markets as they, as they tend to develop, uh, you see a lot of increased competition. So sometimes the states are allowing too many licenses, too much supply into a market. What that creates is a lot of downward price pressure, uh, decreased profits, and a lot of stress, financial stress for these businesses that many of them are the ones who pioneered this industry from the get-go, and they've allowed us to be where we are today. Uh, and they're sometimes being left behind. 
Uh, so, you know, when we look at some of the other challenges is that it's tough to raise capital in this space. You know, there's smaller checks typically being written. So when we look at these grows or these pro these processes, processors, processors, as they're looking for ways to reduce costs, they're either having to invest in very expensive technology, right? Automation, new lights, new ways to grow, new facilities, very capital intensive and intends to result in them losing portions of their business, right, through equity. Um, and, and that's a challenge and it's a burden. And a lot of these businesses can't do that. So one of the things that really Apex Trading focuses on is really looking at ways that we can drive efficiency and streamline their operations when their product's ready to sell. How do you sell it quicker, faster, and more efficiently? Um, and that's where we've really tried to focus on those uh, unique challenges within the space to allow these businesses to increase their margins, remain profitable, doing what they're doing currently, right? Uh, with their current facility, with their current production. Um, and I think those are kind of generally some of the challenges that are faced. Opportunities do you see uh, for people either close to the business yeah. or in the business, that, and how it might change over the next year? We or two right now are seeing a huge move in the CBD hemp industry. Uh, you know, we're seeing a lot of cultivators that were came in and got cannabis production licenses that are shifting completely over CBD to hemp. Uh, number one is there's with the farm bill passing, it opens up a lot of opportunities with the access to banking, ability to do cross-state commerce, open up new channels for sales, uh, the cost of production is lower, there's less taxes, etc. So we're seeing that as a huge opportunity. I think you know four years ago people valued the CBD hemp national CBD hemp market at 100 to 250 million dollars. Today we're seeing that as a multi-billion dollar market and exploding. So I think we're seeing explosive growth, particular in CBD hemp, which is obviously very similar to cannabis. It just doesn't have the THC. So huge opportunities there. I think also we're seeing that brands are really finding ways to collectively pool together resources and manpower to be able to sur survive and really offer retailers the opportunity to source multiple brands, multiple sales channels through one uh, through one wholesaler, one distributor. So we're starting to see a little bit more consolidation as an opportunity that also can be looked at as a burden for businesses, right? So there's kind of pros and cons with both, uh, but those are some of the big shifts that we're seeing in the space today. The biggest challenges moving forward are the rapid rate of changing regulation. Um, for example, uh, last month, uh, January 1st, the law in California changed, uh, uh, pro prohibiting us from carrying, uh, storing the information of minors. So really it's just about monitoring and keeping compliant with all the various state and local regulations. That is the biggest challenge. What do you see as a, as a great opportunity for the industry? Wow, the biggest opportunity I would see is the unrealized um, markets such as um, the elderly who could potentially uh, use CBD um, and, and, and the, uh, the non-medical applications of CBD um, specifically for uh, fitness recovery. I think that's the biggest, biggest growing part of the industry. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think you'll hear from a lot of labs that our first challenge is definitely uh, overcoming the, the THC number bias that uh, all consumers have. So we're sort of on the, on the side of the growers with that. We'd love to see that eliminated. Um, you know, the highest number certainly doesn't mean the best flower. Uh, a problem facing Oregon for sure is the export issue. You know, I don't think it is a matter of overproduction, it's a matter of not enough consumer base. Um, you know, I'm from Florida, so I know that outdoor growing is, uh, is definitely going to be a hard battle there, if, if not impossible. Um, so Oregon's meant to produce this much, it's just a matter of getting that exportation. And what kind of opportunities do you see in the industry over the next few years? I mean, so, so you know, piggybacking off that exportation, I think. You know, some articles are coming out. That's definitely the next push, um, exporting to nationwide. And I think that'll, you know, maybe we'll see that influx again, another uh, influx of licensees trying to get the, you know, revitalize that Southern outdoor grow. Um, and then the next one is social clubs. I think social club movement, another one that's, you know, being pushed to get on the ballot right now. I think that'll, 
open up tourism, um, and just you know take the cannabis economy to the next level. And thanks again to all those great folks for their willingness to answer the questions and let me put them on the podcast slash video blog. I'll put links to their businesses on the show notes. This week's uh, trade show tip of the week comes from a couple of conversations I had with ongoing uh, with some of the exhibitors, and that is this: trade show marketing is not a one and done event. I talked to a couple of exhibitors that were at this show two or three years ago and just killed it, knocked it out of the park, got more business than they could possibly imagine, and others that said, you know, I don't think it's worth it. So. I think it's an ongoing process. Ask yourself what worked, uh, what didn't, what can I improve, what's not worth doing again, what should I have done that I didn't, is it the right show, and so on. A good thorough debrief I think is very important to having your mindset on the right things for the next show. And of course, uh, the follow-up, you know, that's when the real work begins and when you see if it's going to pay off, when you start to see if it was all worth it. So as the months and weeks go by and I start my follow-up and do that, um, there's nothing urgent that came out of this. Nobody said, I need something next week, but a lot of them said, you need to call me because in the future we will want something. So we'll see what comes out of that, and I'll keep you posted on that. So finally, this week's one good thing. I just finished a book called The Late Show by Michael Conley. If you know that name, he's the creator of Harry Bosch. I think there's like 25 Harry Bosch uh, detective novels out there. Well, this is a new character introducing Detective Renee Ballard. Renee Ballard is a 30-something uh, Hawaiian woman who is a detective on the late show, the late night, as they call it in, in Los Angeles. She's like works midnight to 8 or 7 in the morning and follows cases on that. Really, really liked the book. And at the end, they put in about five chapters of a new book that he's got out called, uh, let's see, what's it called? Uh, Dark Sacred Night, and that is a novel that includes both Harry Bosch and Rene Ballard working on a case together. I really like this kind of stuff, and, and Michael Conley's new book, The Late Show, is quite good. So that's it. Have yourself a great week, and catch you next week on Trade Show Guy Monday Morning Coffee.